Welcome to this week's episode of the Screen Gab Podcast. Yeah. My name is Vinny, and again What? with me, he's back. I think I'll yeah. always be surprised that you're back every week. What? Is Ramon De Vera? Yeah. Hi, Ramon. Hello. So, <laughs> in this week's I'm glad episode, glad to be back. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I'm happy. Thanks you're for having me. To be back. So, in this week's episode, we have a special guest. For a special for a interview, special interview with many different background noises. Yeah, forgive our very us for first <laughs> non-studio on-site recording. So forgive our quality as uh, interviewers <laughs> and as audio recordists <laughs> in the field. But um, we are interviewing Click the City's resident critic, yeah. also a film writer for many different publications. Right, Philbert D. And we had a good conversation about many things, yes. criticism, the state of the Philippine industry, many, many, many things. Right. And it was a good conversation that I hope you will listen to. Yeah. And I mean, if you continue just listening to this, you will get to that interview. And secondly, uh, we talk about the current season of Better Call Saul. Yeah. One of our favorite shows in the, you know, airing. Right now, yeah. Right now. Um, Yeah, so that's it. Hello and welcome. It's a lovely afternoon. I'm Ramon. Hi, and I'm Vinny. This is Phil. And Phil is our first guest on the Screen Gab podcast. We, We are doing. Guests. We have guests. <laughs> yes, we do have guests. This is our first non-studio on-site. On-site. <laughs> Phil is the resident film critic of Click the City, a writer for many publications, including Esquire. Uh, he's a natural. He's a national resource, in my opinion. And welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we were interested in having you on because we want to get different people from the industry and sort of talk about their roles and what are the mm -hmm. the right things that people have uh, assumed about those roles and what are the wrong things and just any other cool, interesting info that you might have for us. So, okay. do you wanna? Do you have a particular question you want to ask first, Vin? Uh, I guess we can start with something general, like ask the film critic of. Uh, you know, one of the most popular sites in the Philippines. What do you think is the point of film criticism? Why is it valuable? Why should people read the work of critics, film critics? It's always weird to say valuable when it comes to film criticism. <laughs> um, it is um, the reason I I do film criticism at this point is because I do I I feel like there is a distinct lack of discourse in our cinema. Uh, we don't. People don't know how to talk about our movies. It's always like like people are almost too kind about it. People, there's yeah. this there's this limit that you can say. I thought there was it was missing something. Yeah. This is what you hear the most when you ask people yeah. their opinion of, of a movie they didn't like. Yeah. And uh, I I kind of went into this thinking, if there is somebody out there who is willing to say that a movie is bad, uh, or even or willing to say why a movie is good. Uh, it would foster some sort of discussion about our cinema. Uh, I, d I don't know if it's valuable, but I think for the furtherance of cinema, there needs to be somebody, there needs to be some discussion about what makes a movie good, especially in the Filipino context. Why do you think that lack of uh, a robust sort of discourse is present? Is it because people are just too polite or people are too thin-skinned? A uh, little bit of this, little bit of that. I think it's historical. 
it just went away. Film criticism went away because I think the industry got too powerful at some point. Uh -huh. Like, I think where most people got their criticism before was on television. We actually had people saying things about movies on television. But when the majority of the film studios became part of these giant media conglomerates, there wasn't any room for that anymore. You could, uh, and criticism went away. Mm -hmm. And there became a huge tie in the industry with like the showbiz reporters. I mean, it just became about showbiz. The newspapers yes. themselves just became about showbiz instead of talking about movies, actually. And then there's this whole delicadeza, whatever, yeah. don't want to offend anybody kind of culture thing. Yeah, I've seen this also, like there's like showbiz reporters na don't say anything negative because they're going to be denied access for future yes. projects. Yes, this is something that I hear happens, which is why I don't cover showbiz because I, <laughs> I would never ever get invited to anything anyway. So, so more for your integrity than any disgust on their part. Uh, I <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I'll tell you, Star Cinemas never invited me to a screening. Has wow. never ever invited me to one of their screenings. Even the ones that you write. What? What? I haven't. What? Oh, I thought not. No, I haven't. <laughs> you haven't written for Star yet. No, I haven't written okay. for Star. I'm looking forward to your Star film. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Okay. So you talked about the landscape of mainstream Philippine cinema. Mm -hmm. So what is your assessment of? Is it as bad as people? think it is or do you think there are bright spots uh, yeah give us all that in some a few words <laughs> <laughs> no i don't i don't think it's nearly as bad as people say it is there are people who are outright who will outright tell you that there's nothing go good going on in mainstream filipino cinema i think uh, that's overstating things a bit i think that's like weird colonial mentality yeah. at this point it's like uh the mmff is always terrible i mean sure i mean on average yes but there are always some bright spots there and um, these are still people who want to make good movies. Yeah. Uh, it just becomes a question of what they think a good movie is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to understand that they want to make money and they have to kind of figure out what that is. And they're just trying to repeat past successes. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, the main thing motivating them. It's really repeating past success, which becomes a problem because... It's very hard to replicate good art. It's lightning in a bottle and they just keep trying to do the same thing over and over. Yeah, it's bound to be boring or weird and stuff. But it's, you know, it's still creative people trying to make creative work. I mean, occasionally something great comes out of it. What do you think we need more of in terms of the industry? <laughs> uh, uh, more good movies? That's okay. No, but I mean like um, distribution I think is also... Uh, uh, problem yeah. that some filmmakers have even though they make good films it's hard to get them in theaters it's yeah, hard yeah. to get audiences to at this see point them. at this point i think that is the like that's become my focus trying to find ways to get uh, a lot of our films seen yeah. like people keep talking like cuz our filipino cinema is amazing like people don't think about it that way people seem to underestimate it all the time but we came from a point where it was nearly dead and now what like the in yeah. like we ha there's so many films and so many of them are good it's just that people can't see them because the cinemas which are all in big giant mall or uh, conglomerate owned malls they're not gonna show these films and it's really hard and we just need we need venues we need venues for people and we need to be able to market these films and yeah that's it i think what we need more of, we need more theaters, which is absurd because we have so many theaters, but we need theaters that aren't in malls. We need them. We need a new context for viewing our films. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you're, you're touching on this point on how 
sometimes the commercial interests of you know, the malls or even the studios sort of go against or sometimes act as a hindrance to the growth of Philippine cinema. Do you think that there's a way around that? Because I think that, for example, a lot of the new festivals like are, I mean, are also done in partnership with some of these yeah. institutions. And, and, I, and I think that a big part of the resurgence, as you say, of Philippine cinema is rooted in a lot of these festivals popping up. Because before there was only Cinemalaya, but now there are more and more of them coming up. They aren't up against each other, the commercial interest and the development of Philippine cinema. They're, they go hand in hand. There's just this, because corporate thinking doesn't engender trying new things. Yes. It's about, again, it's about repeating past success. Yeah. So uh, they don't want to take these risks. Like, uh, and, and, but the thing is, if they take these risks and if it works out, it's even better. Mm. It's so much better for them because there's this whole new market mm. that they can tap into. There's this whole, a healthier industry is good for the mall. It's good for everybody. It's good for the cinema owners. It's good for uh, the actors, the directors, everybody working within the industry. Um, I don't know if there's a way around it, but yeah. you know, we can just have to take the risk. Yeah. I have a very showbiz question for you. Okay. Okay. What's the best part about being a critic, and what's the worst part? Uh, I I, there's no. You like, can feel. You can feel free to give a showbiz answer. Yeah. The worst part about being a critic is having to watch a lot of bad movies. <laughs> okay. And the best thing, the best thing is being able to see good movies and being able to tell people about it. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's when you discover something that you thought was that you ca you came in, you knew nothing about it. You see it, you, it's amazing, and then you tell people about it, and people tell you that they went to, they went and saw it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay. So how about this one? What's the largest or the the misconception about critics that you really want to correct. What do people think about critics that just isn't true? That, um, I can't say anything general about what critics are, but um, people think that we get our jollies off of hating a movie. Yeah. I get no pleasure from it. Yeah. Like writing a bad review is the hardest thing for me. Yeah. It's, are you sure though? Because you're so good at it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's just where the work is. That's yeah. where it's like, oh, I gotta work at finding, especially since a lot of these films are bad in the same ways. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to come up with new ways to say, yeah how bad a movie is in all the same ways. So yeah, I genuinely come in every movie wanting to love it. And when it's bad, it's really disappointing. It makes me sad. Yeah, because I think that to be a critic, to some extent, you have to be a film fan first. Oh yeah. Right? And um, so what quality or trait do you think someone who wants to be a critic should possess? I think I think it's important to be uh, to have some self-awareness about yourself. I think the best criticism is inherently personal that it should reveal gasp, not yeah. the objective kind that everyone demands. I mean, if you are if you are somehow a robot <laughs> that can computationally parse what makes a movie good or bad, um, I guess you can do that. But uh, I I tend to think that human beings are inherently imperfect people. And the best thing you can do is share what you like and what you don't like. And um, you need to know who you are to uh, to be able to do that. That's it. It's basically like my favorite criticism is something that reveals something about the person that's writing it. Who's your favorite film critic? Well, Pauline Kael, yeah. of course. But like, um, of the people that I'm reading right now, I really like Ignati Vishnevetsky. Ah, I Yeah, um, I really like 
that his that his criticism has a viewpoint and it's from you can clearly see his background that he's kind of a filmmaker that he's he's a russian <laughs> that, uh, yeah i know it's great there's always a strong viewpoint he loves certain things he and he admits that there are some things that he likes more than others he really likes trashy action cinema yeah. that's why i really like him i also like anthony lane even though i rarely agree with him anymore because you can always see what kind of person he is behind the right how do you deal with people taking it personally or negative feedback, whether it's from filmmakers themselves or audience people or my favorite demographic, the fans clubs. Well, you approach it all differently, I guess. Um, with filmmakers, I understand why they're angry, I guess. It just, and there's nothing to deal with. They're not going to do anything, really. I mean, there, there have been the rare cases of people trying to, threatening to beat me up or whatever. But, um... It isn't anything. It never really amounts to anything. They, they're taking it personally because it's a personal work and I understand that. Uh, the most I can say is it's not personal, that I have no idea who you are, <laughs> generally. Even if I knew who you were, even if we were close friends, I'd still tell you the same thing. I certainly don't try to let it change my opinion of work. I've talked to, I've talked to filmmakers that are my friends and I've told them that I didn't like their film because how did, how did that? How did those experiences go? It went fine, okay. I guess. Um, so there's people who who can take it, who have thick skin, who yeah. understand. And they understand. They, they understand most of all that it's it's not a reflection of how I feel about them. Yeah, mm. I try to judge each work. Uh, with um, the fans, with fans, I I've over the last few years I've decided to really engage with fans, yeah. like really, really, because. Um, because I'm trying to change the tone of the conversation. The thing is, when you attack a fan, when you attack somebody who um, who has fans, when you attack, that's what they view it as. They view it as an attack. Mm -hmm. They view it as an other. So I'm just I'm just a faceless yeah. um, entity that's trying to attack something that they love. So I engage. I say, okay. So um, instead of telling me that I am a terrible person for not liking this <laughs> film or this piece of work. Why don't you tell me what you like about it? Because um, because they're, they're still human beings at the other side of this conversation and they have their own thoughts and feelings. And when you try to make people think about why they like something outside of just, oh, hey, this person's in it, it's helping. Again, this is for me, this is all about promoting discourse. If all I'm doing is shutting out, closing my ears, like being like, uh, I don't want to listen to you guys, you're just fans then no discourse is being yeah. promoted. So that's what my Twitter is now. It's like, <laughs> people, will, people will, will say, I'm a terrible person. And I say, and then I'll come back at them and say, okay, um, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk through your feelings. That must take a lot of emotional <laughs> fortitude. <laughs> um, but speaking of the fans and the audience, um, do you agree with me that there is I think to some extent the Filipino audience is maturing. I mean, I noticed this most recently with the uh, Henra Luna, mm -hmm. um, like really on the grounds, grassroots support for the movie and keeping it in cinemas. Uh, would you think that that's a fair assessment, or have they actually, you know, been like that all along? It's just that now they have a platform to do so. I don't know if I can speak in general terms like that, but I do know that like. The biggest bulk of my Twitter followers are Jay Dean and Katniel fans. Um, they follow me and uh, they they engage with me. So um, you know they're they're fans. They're they they are they are people who will 
Um, was, this, was this originally because did you give like a positive review to something? Yeah, I think probably. Okay. Uh, that's what it is. But like, so they follow me now, and they they seem to acknowledge that I'm not a guy that's trying to take down these uh, these people. That I'm not I'm just I'm not just just like blindly hating at these things. So yeah, uh, there is some growth there. I mean, like my discussions with Noranians have never been fruitful. <laughs> They've never ever been fruitful. Uh, it's uh, they they like, there was one time I actually tweeted something defending Nora and Nora, and they still attacked me. So that's but like these younger fans of JD and Kathniel, they seem much more open to me saying things that aren't necessarily positive about their fandoms. How many death threats have you gotten by now? Uh, just a just a few. Two? I know two. The, uh, I can remember. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Basically two. Uh, <laughs> basically two. And then, cause like uh, when the MMF thing blew up and I went to Congress, there was some oh, yeah, stuff yeah. there. And then there was that thing where I got sued for libel for calling out the distributor for retitling a film and pre- presenting it as a different film in cinemas. And that. Yeah. But you were right. Yeah, I was right. Okay. Yeah, yeah the case was like fraud. Yeah, it was fraud. In fact, yeah, there's another film coming up that might be fraud as well. We'll see. We'll see what that is. But yeah, uh, no, I don't get many death threats. The thing is, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. And I think people know that as well. It isn't worth getting that worked up about it. I think that part of why uh, you're so hated, maybe, is because there's a very small community of critics here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the only people I see regularly writing reviews would be you and maybe Oggs. And in fact, you write more than Oggs. But I think because it seems like there's only one or two guys dictating whether or not a movie is good or bad, then, um, you know, like it's easy to really target you. So I guess like a, a, a broader community of critics, I think, would maybe help. I, I want there to be more criticism, but not to deflect hate. Yeah. That's because the hate's fine, whatever. It's nothing. It's. Whatever. It's I mean, pe- yeah, we, we already have Twitter. Yeah, it's whatever. Um, I'd like a broader community of critics just so that there'd be more discussion. Uh, I want more viewpoints. I feel like there still aren't that many serious people writing seriously about film. There, there are a lot of bloggers. There are a lot of... And, you know, they're fine. It's fine that they're out there. But they're not seriously trying to... They're, they're, I think they're mostly trying to promote movies mm. at this point rather than review them. Uh, but, yeah, I think the hate that I receive is just... Because it, you can, because it's so easy to hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amusing to me sometimes when I see haterade that's directed at you or or Augs, because I, I also feel like these people seem to radically overestimate how much power you have in convincing necessarily. I mean, I'm not saying that you're, what you're doing isn't great work or important, valuable work, but but also, I don't think the man that if you give a negative review, then Star Wars is not going to be you know a blockbuster yeah. hit or yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I have, I have never had that kind of effect. At, at, at best, at best, what I've been able to do is I've been able to get people to see a film mm-hmm. rather than get them to not see a yeah. film. Because that, that's how I am. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how bad the reviews are for like Ghost Rider, the second Ghost Rider movie. It's a Neville Dean and Taylor movie. I'm going to see it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think I have ever really discouraged enough people that it makes an impact on box office. But I have been able, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take some credit for Henry Luna. <laughs> I am going to take some credit there. I spent every day telling people to see it. And it worked out. I think it worked out. Yeah, I think there's also some issues regarding like the MMFF or other shenanigans of uh, distributors or what do you call that? 
it, not theater chains, but but the yeah the mm -hmm. people who bring in like the fraud case you mentioned. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, those are things that I only really would have known about known about through your Twitter. Yeah. Well, that's that's become my focus, eh? because. Yeah, again, this, these are consumer rights issues that nobody cares about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, it's like no nobody, it's such a, because the cinema owners and the distributors, there's such a small pool of people mm. that seem to just govern themselves. When when I went to the DTI for this for this thing, because I, I reported it to, I first reported it to the NTRCB, but I was told to, to bring it to the DTI because it's a trade issue. Yeah. They referred my case back to the NTRCB. Because so no one knows what nobody to do. knows what to do because this is such a weird self-regulating uh, thing. So is it, was it uh, there was no precedent before that, or they just didn't know whose jurisdiction it was? They didn't know whose jurisdiction wow. it was. Um, and yeah, these are things that yeah, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> no, uh, but that's why we need you, yeah. man. You're you're like not just a critic, but you're also a gatekeeper and a consumer rights advocate. Wow. Yeah, no, because I'm the only person seeing all these films. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm in the weird position to be able to do mm -hmm. it. Maybe to move to a different, uh, to pivot to a different topic. Um, a lot of attention has been given uh, in the past few years to certain filmmakers. Uh, Love is one of them. Brillante Mendoza is one of them. And they get, you know, critical acclaim and they get shown in film festivals and they get feted with many awards. Um, what, what do you think about that and whether or not that, that's good for Philippine cinema that we get represented in this manner? Well, because um, the international stuff isn't super important to me. But um, it's, it's nice. It's nice that uh, people like Love and Brillante get that kind of acclaim. It's nice because it might get people interested in Filipino cinema. The problem has always just been like, it's actually not a problem because um. The thing about the international market when you're a when you're an emerging cinema is that you seem to really need to have some sort of brand. Mm -hmm. It needs even to be able to sell it to festivals. You gotta say, oh, this this is what a Filipino film is. It's this. It's either the brillante, the real time, whatever, grimy, mm -hmm. poverty, whatever, or labs like slow. I, I don't want time. Then you yeah. <laughs> no different sense. Yeah, super long, super, real super time. long, super art, whatever. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm fine with the international scene thinking that's all Filipino cinema is. The problem is, because we're, we're mostly reporting on these international triumphs, the local people mm, think yeah. this is all Filipino cinema is, that this is all what independent Filipino cinema is. Uh, I actually programmed this, um, this small festival in San Francisco where that was our whole um, thesis statement, that there is more to Filipino cinema. The most beautiful thing about Filipino cinema, if I were selling it to the world, is that at this point, it is so ridiculously diverse that you can't actually pin it down. It's one of the most beautiful things about the Philippines. You can't pin down the Philippine the Philippines as one What's single thing. What's the festival thing. called? It's a new Filipino cinema at okay. the Yerbo Buena Center for the Arts. Okay. The thing that's so great about the Philippines, whether it's in food or art or whatever, is that we're a regional, we're regional based. There's other, each region has its own specific culture, and it reflects in art, in food, in cinema, and um. That's that's what I've been trying to tell people. That's the most exciting thing about our cinema. The thing is, there's really this tendency to just want to pin it down to a single thing. And that's a problem. I came from the Tokyo International Film Festival last year, and they did a whole section on 
on Filipino cinema, and they were mostly Brillante Mendoza films. <laughs> when I asked the programmer if he thought that this was a, if he thought that was a good representation of Filipino cinema, he said, "Yes, yes, I think it's a, we did a spectrum or whatever." And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> So is that also one of your sort of advocacies is trying to represent the diversity and the, the spectrum that may be lacking in terms of programmers' minds of other uh, uh, festivals? I mean, it's part of it. Uh, my, my main thing, my main goal is to try to get movies shown here. Mm-hmm. Because, um, come on, man. Come on. And uh, but th- that's nice. If, if, if I can help filmmakers, because, you know, I mean, funding is hard to get. And if I can get filmmakers to go to if I can get their films abroad and maybe get noticed maybe they can get more of, uh, it's always more money pouring back into the Philippines and that's always a good thing mm-hmm. so if that's why I still go to these festivals when I'm invited because nobody's talking about Filipino cinema in these terms what a great note to end on and with that mm-hmm. thank you very much Phil yeah that's, uh, it was a pleasure that was a really nice conversation not to lift our own <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're not Cheers, tooting our own really horn, but that. I mean, there's a lot that I learned yeah. also. And uh, yeah, thanks so much yeah. for the good work. Thank yeah. you for your service. Okay. And if you need rest, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I've been doing the right thing for all these years now, and where has it gotten me? Nowhere. Ciao, I might have a job for you. Where and when? You faked evidence. Yeah! Who among us is without sin? Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is an American TV crime drama series created by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gold. It is a spin-off prequel of Breaking Bad. Set in 2002, Better Call Saul follows the story of small-time lawyer James Morgan, Jimmy McGill, slipping Jimmy, six years before his appearance in Breaking Bad as Saul Goodman. Right. So this series is now in its second season. Actually, we're three episodes into the second season. Mm-hmm. And Ramon, how are you finding it so far? I am loving it. I also really like it too. Um, so, But not love. <laughs> well, it depends. Okay. I mean, there's still more episodes to come. But the thing with Better Call Saul is uh, Jimmy McGill or Saul Goodman. Let's call him Jimmy. He is a character that is designed to let you down. You know, mm-hmm. especially since uh, if you're a fan of Breaking Bad and you watch that show, and I think you should watch that show before watching this show. Yes. But if you're a fan of that show, you know how he ends up. Yes. Right. And Better Call Saul is at a point in Jimmy's life where he's sort of trying to get on the right path, mm-hmm. you know, being a legit lawyer. Yeah. But then you know that things are going to collapse along the way so it's just it's like he's a ticking time bomb and you're just waiting for when that bomb will explode so watching this show is a unique kind of experience for me because you're just filled with a mixture of dread and maybe you know not so much empathy but maybe pity that you know how he's going to turn up even despite his best efforts to become an actual lawyer you know yeah yeah. So it fills me with mixed feelings, the show. Well, it's interesting that you describe him as like a ticking time bomb, which he is. But he's also, watching the series is also like watching a car, a car wreck in <laughs> slow motion. Yeah. Because, as you said, it's a prequel of Breaking Bad. And we know what happens. We know the character that Saul is in Breaking Bad. He's not that character fully yet in yeah. Better Call Saul. So we know what's going to happen. And in a way... 
that well not in a way it makes it a tragedy you mm-hmm. know what's going to happen and again you you uh, watch it with a certain amount of dread and there's mm-hmm. pity and also sympathy and you're rooting for him to for his, the better side of him mm-hmm. to emerge but you know it's not going to happen mm-hmm. and in what in that way it also sort of is a noir yeah right so there you see these avenues these different paths he could have taken for a more fulfilling happier more morally more ethically sound mm-hmm. life but he's not going to take yeah. those because he is who he is mm-hmm. Even though there's the effort to improve oneself, it it doesn't really stick. Yeah. But that's also brought about by one of the more interesting things for me that makes this season different from the first season. And we're going to be a, a little bit of spoiler territory here, but I won't go into too much detail. But the way that his relationship with his brother has changed yes. was a large blow emotionally to him at the end of the first season. And now the brother is sort of positioned, mm-hmm. uh, played by Michael McKean, is positioned as sort of a villain, mm-hmm. an antagonist. Mm-hmm. The thing with the brother is, for the first season, or at least by the end of the first season, when it's finally revealed that he actually was not supporting his brother, you know, he was just pretending to support his brother, but in the end he said that actually you're going to be slipping Jimmy. You know, you're going to be a con artist forever, right? So at the end of the first season, the show is conditioning you to, to think of Chuck as a villain. Mm-hmm. But entering the second season and seeing him, you know, work as a work in a proper law firm and make all these you know these small cons that he can't help himself but yeah. you know but do even even if there is a slightly harder but you know accessible path to do the right thing he would always fall prey to his you know temptation to these temptations to just take a shortcut and do the con right yeah so seeing him do that you actually realize that Chuck was right, you know, for all the hatred or for all the, you know, the the regret that the show fills you up with because, you know, because Chuck is seen as this brother who doesn't give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, again, conditioned to think of him as a villain. But actually, he's right because as we see in this episode, when he was given... Um, Sorry, the season. Because when he was given the chance to be a proper lawyer, he still tried to do the con anyway. And I also like what you said, and I agree that part of the tragedy of the show is that all his failings are a result not of circumstance, but out of an active choice. Right? And I want to talk about uh, Kim's character here. Because Kim, uh, who Wait, is... Let me yeah. go back first okay. to something you said. Where there... Chuck may be right, mm-hmm. but there's also an aspect of him that is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Because I think there's an element of Jimmy may have stuck with the right path mm-hmm. if his brother had shown him the support. Mm-hmm. Like if that if that sort of blow up at the end of season one hadn't happened, mm-hmm. I feel like it was a further push for Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Like that that attitude, well, you know, I was doing this trying to you know, be seen in a better light mm-hmm. by my brother. And then if he, of all people, was just had never had any faith mm-hmm. in me this whole time, why should I continue mm-hmm. this? And that, for me, was the pilot, mm-hmm. uh, the first episode of mm-hmm. season two. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, the, the reason why I think his character is more flawed than that is because of, as I mentioned a while ago, of Kim's character. Because okay. Kim is sort of the, you know, the moral center <laughs> of the show, right? Yeah. She's trying to ground... Uh, Jimmy right. and tell him that hey you're a fucking proper lawyer now right so don't yeah don't don't, don't fabricate evidence don't yeah like don't mess up this opportunity you know which is actually what you claim you dreamed of but now that right, it's right. here you're trying to you know sabotage yourself so 
I agree that the, the character of Chuck and Kim are almost those, you know, those devil and <laughs> angel creatures yeah, on the shoulders, shoulders, right? Yeah. Um, they're 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 his conscience and his, you know, temptation to do, you know, the con. So, what I wanted to uh, bring up a while ago was that Kim's character, as I said. Um, so that relationship is very important to Saul because not only is it his romantic relationship, but it's also his um, like his his, his th- chance at redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kim is an almost like you know redemptive. Yeah, and you character. know that it's not gonna work. Yeah, she doesn't appear at all in. Uh, Isn't she, bro- she, she in Breaking dead Bad? By Breaking Bad, I don't know. Was it mentioned ever? I I can't remember. I don't but know why, but I, 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 I kind feeling... of don't want to know almost. But oh. but yeah, I mean, just the fact that she's <laughs> totally not in Breaking Bad. But I don't remember. Yeah. So it could be either way. But actually, I don't even know if I'm correct. But anyway, yeah. So yeah. It, just because she's not in Breaking mm-hmm. Bad, you know, it's not gonna end well. Mm-hmm. So that's also a part of the whole bittersweet mm-hmm. tragedy slow motion car wreck mm-hmm. that you're, that's unfolding beautifully before yeah. your eyes I think we should also mention Mike's yeah yeah I was gonna ask you about you know, yeah. how, how do you like Mike's arc Mike's arc f- for me right now is a bit uh, how should I say this I'm not slow in unfolding I'm not yet hooked yeah but his character is just so <laughs> juicy and you yeah, know, yeah. very enjoyable to watch right, that right. even if I'm not hooked right now by the actual narrative I just want to see what he's going to do. Yeah, you know, and, and Jonathan situations. Banks just sells it so well. Yeah. He's so watchable. Even if there are whole scenes, whole minutes pass by where there's no dialogue. Yeah. It's like you can sort of see his mind working as he's doing these. He things. has the best like stare into the distance. Look, he has the best, dead, you know? the best dead-eyed stare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best yeah. poker face, also. Yeah. Let, let me ask you about his relationship with his daughter, especially this. His season. daughter-in-law. I thought my daughter. No, that's okay, the daughter-in-law. Oh, the yeah, widow yeah. of his son. Son, yeah, 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 I remember now. Yeah, but um, because as at least as of the last episode, there's this whole sub story about her uh, about her hearing gunshots. Yeah, outside the house. Mm-hmm. Do you think she's making that up? Yeah, but the thing or, is, is she doing it maliciously, or or is she slightly? Sort of, you know, going a little like, bit crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it the neighborhood or something else? Yeah. And I don't remember also seeing the that character. I know we saw the kid in Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't remember if definitely it probably wasn't the same actress. Yeah. So I don't really know how mm-hmm. that ends up also for her. But yeah, I mean I think I'm not I'm not sure yet where that is mm-hmm. going, but it's definitely very interesting to yeah. watch. And he doesn't call her on it. Yeah. He just he plays along with it. Her, yeah, yeah. And, and but because of playing along with that, he has to accept more dangerous jobs. Yeah. That will pay out better. Yeah. Because the reason I'm asking this is I want to know what the showrunners are trying to say with that sub-story, right? Mm-hmm. Because is he a sort of guardian angel, you know, protector figure? Or is he a threat? And um, I think in Breaking Bad itself, these two sides of his character sort of you know, are manifest already, right? Like he's, yeah, yeah. They he's, don't have to be um, mutually exclusive. exclusive. Yeah. And, you know, I don't... I've stopped trying to second-guess Gilligan and his amazing team of writers. Mm-hmm. So I just try to enjoy it as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. One of the things I also... And to sort of skip to a different thing is... Yeah. Like, it's, Saul is maybe the most high-profile show in terms of like a prestige cable drama that yeah. I can think of right now that is so art. In the sense that it's a slow burn, very deliberate pacing, but there's whole sequences where they sort of do a montage of, you know, very 
atmospheric shots, mm-hmm. um, interesting angles. Before the scene even begins, they set a mood and an ambiance. Mm-hmm. And I don't really see that in any other... Maybe to a small degree, there are some mm-hmm. shows that will do that. But not the way this mm-hmm. one will really devote time mm-hmm. to it. So sometimes I, I hear that complaint from some people or the comment that it seems not much is happening, especially for something that's maybe like eight episodes, mm-hmm. I think, only. But for me, it just establishes a mood and really lets you sort of inhabit the mm-hmm. kind of world that the characters are in. Mm-hmm. I think part of why that works is because if you can see, there's a device that the show uses that for the season premieres of both seasons, yeah. the movie starts black and white. Right. When he's already, you know, working. In hiding as yeah, in hiding, uh, which is oh, as his new identity. Yeah. yeah. After the post Breaking Bad. Yeah, after yeah. Breaking Bad. So he's working as a manager in a Cinnabon restaurant yeah. somewhere. It's very drab. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, that you know those black and white scenes it immediately jumps to the, the present time of the show right and it's so overexposed it's so bright yeah and I, so cool. I, I think like, the show is trying to make a statement there yeah yeah I mean actually for me right the the whole drab black and white mm-hmm. monotony mm-hmm. of of the the current mm-hmm. day present day sort of new identity of the Saul Jimmy mm-hmm. character is very highly contrasted with the opening opening credit sequence which is different for episode but mm-hmm. it's always this super saturated very garish yes. color yes. that's the that's the Saul uh, personality mm-hmm. but if you've noticed what I like is they sort of did something new this season where in season one it was just these brief gaudy flashes of like the gym of the Saul lifestyle mm-hmm. right the fuzzy dice mm-hmm. and the like, rear view mirror mm-hmm. etc but in this season it's still that, but they would insert really brief, quick flashes of black and white. Oh, I didn't even notice so that. So it's like, ah, oh, okay, they're like hinting at that this is like a, a continuation of the progression towards the Saul character. And then oh, eventually yeah. the... I, I, I think the show is trying to just remind... I, yeah. I, I didn't notice that, so thank you for pointing that out. But I think the show is trying to, to you know, subtly... Yes, uh, very subtly. Like, inform the audience that you know the the future Saul Goodman is already intruding into the present mm-hmm. and I and I, I think it's kind of funny because this show was done after Breaking Bad right yeah. and I think to some extent Vince Gilligan did not really know if this was if this was going to be a successful show if people were actually going to watch this and I think you know they, they did so you know if because you can only do so much until Breaking Bad right yeah, so at yeah. some point uh, it has to dovetail to that. You can't keep on dragging this forever. Mm-hmm. So I think that a good out would be just you know just make a an epilogue series like a post Breaking Bad series <laughs> when he's already you know at that. So it's it's a good exit. Is what I'm saying. Well, I think they don't need to. Don't I don't think they have to do a different series. I think mm-hmm. maybe even if the last couple of episodes of the Better Call Saul mm-hmm. series as a whole was the present, mm-hmm. they just all black and white episodes. Yeah, yeah. that would be yeah, interesting. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, so one of the interesting things for me watching Better Call Saul this season is I'm watching it at the same time as another sort of legalish show, which is something we've talked about, American Crime Story. Oh, yeah. So it's just very fascinating to me because there are certain parallels that have mm-hmm. emerged. Firstly, they're both tragedies uh-huh. in the sense that we know what happens yeah, in both right. cases, right. right? We know where mm-hmm. characters will end up. So it's like watching, you know, again, th- these... These uh, accidents unfold in slow motion, but in a very painful yet beautiful and dramatic way. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is also the parallels sort of with like the ethics in terms of being a lawyer. Mm-hmm. There was a recent episode of, of OJ where the, the, the Cochrane and his legal team completely renovated, well, not renovated, but sort of um, changed the uh, appearance of the 
the home of OJ replacing all these sort of um, the, 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 pictures, the photos of the scantily yeah, clad white women yeah. they would replace it with paintings of OJ with his mom yeah, yeah. so the ethics the, the ethical questions of that have had parallels with Better Call Saul where he was fabricating evidence where uh-huh. as Kim very wisely pointed out you didn't even have to actually make mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you were okay now with convincing certain people of mm-hmm. a thing but he felt like he had to back it up with the fabricated mm-hmm. evidence which he didn't have yeah. to so he stepped over that line willingly mm-hmm. that's a very interesting point you raise because that's one sort of theme I noticed I think we are living in a milieu where people are disillusioned with the American justice system mm-hmm. and Definitely, are yeah. trying to poke holes like the, like one of the biggest Netflix hits was Making of a Murderer mm-hmm. who's you know I mean I don't think they were they were intent on undermining the criminal justice system but right, it just right. so happened that they that 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 they did <laughs> you know <laughs> and this sort of American crime story Better Call Saul are also a touch on how untrustworthy the system is and, and systems how, failing yeah almost so, like a David Simon season of TV like where he has his influences on all, on all these different yeah TV shows yeah so I, I don't know I mean I, I guess it's a chicken and egg problem I don't know but I think they're tapping into this uh, like this sensibility of the moment that people are not so trusting of <laughs> lawyers yeah. of of courts, which is interesting because um, the X Files uh, latest season just ended, mm-hmm. and with that, they tried to bring bo- back, bring back, they tried to bring <laughs> back this sort of '90s era government paranoia, yeah. which does not translate well today. Yeah. Um, uh, they 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 tried to tap it into. It fell out of date already. Yeah, because parang everyone knows that. Uh, the government yeah. is inv- encroaching on the privacy of you know. <laughs> I haven't people. seen the new season. Eh? So yeah, yeah. So is it like people? We shouldn't trust the government, and then every other backup character is like, we don't already. It's been twenty <laughs> yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, parang ganon. Because <laughs> mother, I know bad. I don't want to spoil it to you, but 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 there's a, like a massive government conspiracy. So I think isn't there always an X Files? It's like a prerequisite. Yeah, no, exactly. But right. what I'm saying is, it just feels so dated. <laughs> okay. Because we know of many government conspiracies yeah, now, yeah. but what I'm saying is that maybe that sort of you know anxiety Just manifests the, today yeah, yeah. in this sort of manner, and in this one is more, uh, you know, more relevant, more zeitgeisty in mm, a way, mm. you know. So that's an interesting point. I did not notice that. Any further final thoughts or? I guess what I want from the rest of the season is. Uh, one of the like the broad questions that this season is asking is, what happens if you get what you think you wanted all along and realize that well, it's baloney and actually what what I want to be is my old Connie, <laughs> you know, not Connie, con man self, yeah. you know, and it's I a sort of <laughs> it's a sort of critique. I guess of you know the American dream and whether or not it's worth it to climb all these career ladders if in the end it you know you feel hollow and you feel right, right. like it's not really who you wanted to be all along so I so th- th- that that for me I don't know I'm not may- maybe I'm sort of speaking from a bit you know from a personal space but, but personal <laughs> yeah but but that's the 
theme that I yeah, parang, respond to. What's the point the of what's the point of succeeding if you're not being yourself? Yeah, and I think remember at the end of the first episode of the second season when he asked for the stable. The, the the yeah the type of office ah, yeah, table I forgot what it's called yeah that type of office table right because I think that actually Saul Goodman or Jimmy McGill is just so um into the trappings of success the trappings of being a corporate lawyer you know the new car the new table all these fancy assistants. this and fancy that. yeah oh. but deep inside you know he's just going to be the con man that he right. always was and he always will be true. And that's it for this week's episode. If you like what you hear, then share and subscribe and like our Facebook, right? Twitter, follow our Twitters, Instagram, our, Insta- our Grams, SoundCloud. Yeah, share our posts and and like them. I think we're all Screen Gab PH, no? except except face- for Facebook. Facebook. And I don't know. Are we Screen Gab on Stitcher? Yeah, we're streaming up on Stitcher. Oh, yeah, yes. we're also on Stitcher now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're using Stitcher, iTunes, or SoundCloud, we yeah. got you covered, boy. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? Are you a bit gassy? Or yeah. What is that? I mean, I'm just not used to your hip hop persona. It's making me uncomfortable here well, in this. Get booth. used to it, Vinny boy. <laughs> so that's it. See you all next week. Hopefully. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>